3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: God gifted me with, if he gifted me with anything, it was a great sense of humor and a jumper.
5: (laughs) Raymond Townsend. A lot of basketball fans might not know that name, but for the Filipino-American community and Filipinos back home, he's a legend up there with Bill Russell, Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, all the pioneers and icons who gave the NBA a foundation to grow into the global league it is today. Raymond Townsend, a 6'3 guard from San Jose, California, is the first Filipino player in NBA history before Jalen Green came along and became the first Filipino lottery pick in NBA history.
3: With the second pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Houston Rockets select
5: Jalen Green. And Jordan Clarkson became the first Filipino player to win the NBA's six man of the year award.
3: Clarkson doubled with two, now tripled. Clarkson has to hoist it. And they're gonna call a foul and count the basket.
5: Raymond Townsend carried the torch. Filipinos all over the world who grew up dreaming of playing basketball at the highest level looked up to him. And that's what this episode is all about, the NBA dream. We're going to be talking with the Filipino trailblazers who were the first players and coaches to break into the NBA, as well as telling the story of an all-time great from the PBA who almost became the first player born and raised in the Philippines to make it to the league. Welcome to episode 5 of Hoops Paradise, the Philippines love of the game.
0: Basketball, basketball, where standing
5: tall. Alright, Nico, can we um compare notes real quick on the Filipino-American experience here in the States versus the experience in the Philippines? Basically, I'm wondering if for as long as you can remember. Everyone in your extended family has been able to name seemingly every Filipino celebrity in Hollywood and professional sports. Are you kidding?
6: Of course. We know all the Pinoy's who even made the slightest impact on U.S. pop culture. One, because for a long time there weren't a lot of them, right? And two, because it's almost like an unspoken requirement of Philippine citizenship that we identify any public figure anywhere in the world with even the slightest, smallest Filipino roots and then claim them as some sort of honorary national hero.
5: Exactly. Like, the average American moviegoer saw 80s classics like La Bamba or Stand and Deliver and thought Lou Diamond Phillips was Mexican-American. But not us, because there was always a cousin or auntie or tita or Lola nearby to interrupt the movie and say, Psst, you know, he's Filipino. Psst.
6: (laughs) Pinoy Yan Pinoy Yan 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 (laughs) Pinoy Yan Lou Diamond Phillips Tia Carver Who inspired about a billion crushes With her roles in Wayne's World 1 and 2 Classics by the way Mm -hmm. Nicole Scherzinger Of the Pussycat Dolls We really caught a break With her being the star of the group Star And then there's Apple D. App Of the Black Eyed Peas The group let him record One song in Tagalog (laughs) AKA Cassidy Hubbard's Favorite song of all time All time Bebot is a showstopper at every Filipino wedding in the States, or at least all the ones I've been at. I think, Cassidy, you're about a year away from having the pull for that song to be played anytime you walk onto any NBA arena. As soon as you walk in, they just have to blast Bebot.
5: I mean, we already know it doesn't even need to play. I say it to any Filipino I see. I just start singing it like a crazy person. And look, like I said, it's not just at weddings. It is a staple. Not just in my house, but in NBA arenas, especially when franchises hold Filipino-American Heritage Nights.
1: a lot
0: Filipinos come
1: out supporting
6: That's Jalen Green, guard for the Houston Rockets at Filipino Heritage Night, talking about the support he gets from Filipino fans.
4: You know, you got so many same levels of poison as I was high school plan. I can't ask you I appreciate you guys.
6: Filipino fans have been rooting for Jalen Green's basketball career since he was a sophomore in high school. Yes, high school.
0: Who, who's your guys' favorite player in the NBA? Uh, who's your what's favorite right? player
7: in the NBA? Uh, <laughs>
6: it's Green. It's Green,
7: of course, it's Green from Houston Rockets. Yeah. Since uh, uh, Green is one of the uh, best players in the Philippines, it's really, uh, uh, what call this, a pride for us to I uh, represent Philippines in the big league like the NBA.
6: And the Utah Jazz's Jordan Clarkson echoed that same sentiment at the 2023 NBA All-Star Weekend, talking about the support he gets from Filipino fans and how proud he is to be Filipino. I really always appreciate and uh,
0: love the support the Philippines have gave me uh, since I've been in the league and you know, since I've been on my hoop journey. And um, I'm proud. wear it every day. I got my uh, grandma chatting on my heart. She Filipino. You know how we do, man. Filipino blood till the end. We throwing the sandals off and we, we barefoot. We we get straight to the hoop in the Philippines, man.
5: By the way, I, I know you know this, but we also claim Vanessa Hudgens. The we former do. MTV VJ Vanessa Manillo, who's yes. married to that, you know, boy band guy from 98 degrees. And for a while, everyone was convinced that Rachel Bilson, the actress who starred in the OC, was half Filipino, but it kinda turns out she's
6: not. I don't know. I'm still investigating that one. <laughs> still want that one to be true. Right. Uh, we also all know that 90s Saturday Night Live funny man Rob Schneider is half Pinoy. Of course. It is like they taught it in Sunday school or something. Everybody knows. Yet None of us are quite sure how or why. The same goes for former pro wrestler turned Marvel Avenger Dave Batista,
5: Right? And even though these examples are probably dead giveaways that we're a couple aging 90s kids, we can't forget the younger generation of Filipino-American entertainers and artists like Sweetie and the Grammy Award-winning R&B singer, Her, who just played Belle in Disney's 30th anniversary special remake of Beauty and the Beast. Anyway, to get back to the point here, I'm wondering what has happened when the Philippine appetite for representation has collided with our passion for NBA basketball over the years?
6: The thirst was real. Uh, By the way, your shot at our collective ages um, felt that one a little bit. But also me and Cassidy, people are the first to tell you. Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah. Our girl, Olivia. Yeah. Got that. Got some Pinoy blood in her as well. She may
5: be a general Zer, and we may be some geriatric millennials, but we rep her hard.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Now, um, before Jordan Clarkson debuted with the Lakers of all teams in 2014.
3: Jeremy Lin kicks it to Clarkson. Timeout. See what I mean about Clarkson? I can tell right away that this is a guy that understands the game and he's not afraid.
6: And gave Filipinos all around the world one of our own to root for for the first time since Raymond Towsend retired in 1982, we were on the hunt for any connection to the league we could find. When stars like Rayjon Rondo and Dwayne Wade slashed to the basket and scored using footwork and touch and deception in ways that reminded us of the PBA, we treated it almost like a moral victory and joked that Rondo and D. Wade must be Pusong Pinoy or Filipino at heart. When Nate Robinson's mom mentioned to a reporter that her grandfather had been Filipino, it sparked a rumor that the five foot nine, two time slam dunk champ, who would go off for 40 on any given night, was one eighth Filipino. By the way, more than enough in my
5: Yeah, book. we claimed, claimed. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Even though, as far as I'm aware, no one ever did the legwork to truly confirm Nate spinoy roots by following up with his mom, learning her grandfather's name, and tracking down his birth certificate or relatives in the Philippines. And you know, to be honest, why bother? A short guy who could score in bunches, played with a ton of emotion, and had crazy hops? There's a version of that player in every barangay in the Philippines, and in every Filipino neighborhood in the States. We even have a beloved newspaper reporter and PBA TV analyst who calls himself the Dean, Mr. Quinito Henson, who's made a cottage industry out of reporting on any connection between Filipinos and the NBA that you can possibly imagine. Shout out to Dean. I love him. Atita from Zambales province who migrated to New England and found a job in the accounting department of the Boston Celtics. The Filipino-American photographer who Jordan Poole trusts to snap action shots at games so the Warriors guard can post them to social media after the final buzzer. The tailor on Pasay Road in Makati City where Del Demps, the former San Antonio Spurs front office figure who also played as an import in the PBA for teams like 7-Up, Ancolas, would order custom-made suits for himself and Spurs guard Bruce Bowen to wear to NBA games. We'd read about these tiny connections between our world and the NBA in the Dean's columns. And no matter how trivial they might have seemed from an outsider's perspective, they resonated with Filipino readers of what basketball means to us and what the NBA represents for all basketball fans all over the world. Any way that we could trace a line from our hoops-mad archipelago back to the league where Oscar Robertson, Larry Bird, Magic, Michael, and LeBron played, was all the validation we needed.
5: Preach, Nico. I mean, we out here. You may have to search a little bit, but we out here. And if that doesn't set up our conversation with Raymond Townsend, I don't know what will. But the incredible thing about his story as the first Filipino player in NBA history is that he came along at a time when Filipino-American identity wasn't as widely understood as it is today.
4: I could stand on the mountaintop and tell you I was Filipino, but You have to understand, at that time, there were no Filipino basketball players.
5: Even though Raymond's mom served Lumpia and Pancit to legendary UCLA coach John Wooden when the Wizard of Westwood visited the Townsend family home in San Jose to recruit Raymond out of high school, barely anyone outside of their immediate family thought of Raymond as Filipino. It was the 70s, and Raymond was biracial, wore his hair in an Afro, and most Americans just saw him as black. Raymond had a basketball career that would make anyone proud. He won an NCAA championship playing for John Wooden at UCLA and got selected by the Golden State Warriors with the final pick in the first round of the 1978 NBA draft. He played three seasons in the NBA with the Warriors and then the Indiana Pacers, averaging about five points per game as a backup point guard. And then he went on to play three more seasons of pro ball in Italy. But it wasn't until long after that, that the NBA's first Filipino was truly recognized for his contributions to the game.
4: I was really fortunate with being recruited. You have to understand, I was averaging 29 points a game without a three pointer. God gifted me with, if he gifted me with anything, it was a great sense of humor and a jumper. And uh, (laughs) a love for my family. And my journey started real early because we had five kids in one room, 800 square foot home. Now,
6: Raymond's family didn't have the money to pay for week-long basketball camps. So he worked as a cook at basketball clinics and camps just so he could attend.
4: I was serving them breakfast. I was cleaning up after them. I was pretty humble, cocky. But when they asked me for Kool-Aid or whatever, man, I was filling up their cups or refills or going to do this. And then I wasn't able to participate in the camp until after I washed the dishes and did that. And I had to do that three meals a day because I couldn't afford the fees to go to these one-week camps. But by the third day, there were guys, Coach Wooden, there was uh, at Maryland at that time, Marquette, Al McGuire, Maryland was big, Duke, everybody was there. By the third day, uh, because this was the place to be in California for the players, they found out that the Cook was a pretty good player as a sophomore. So for about two or three years, played in the best league in Northern California, Archbishop Mitty High School. I was working out with Santa Clara University, San Jose State varsity players as a sophomore high school. I didn't want to be a good player. I used to tell everybody there's millions of good players. I wanted to be great. And because I was humble, I appreciated everything my mom and dad opened up for me, which never gave me a sense of entitlement. You know, I had to serve people is the way I had to get ahead. Once I was on the radar, it was kind of a done deal, and it just it just snowballed after that. And it's kind of funny, even though it was 125, UCLA wasn't one of those picks yet. It was wow. everybody but UCLA. Yeah, and UCLA came in about the last two weeks. We had a game uh, in a gym. It was filled up, 2,000 capacity. There were 1,500 uh, people outside with speakers. It was just an unreal environment for back in the mid 70s I ended up having like 38 I had a triple double and and just turned it out and UCLA happened to be there so what ended up happening is obviously coach Wooden came to my house a week later and uh mom and dad they were you know we had Filipino we had panzit we had chicken adobo we had uh, (laughs) we had everything for coach Wooden we all had our assigned seats that were Uh, my brother and my three sisters, I'm the eldest. And uh, the minute coach walked in, he really could have just given me a paper and just said, you know what, we want you to uh, sign. And I would have signed immediately, but uh, instead he uh, checked out my integrity. His first words were, you know, Raymond, uh, we respect your ability. We run a program of honesty and integrity. You know, you don't hear people talk like this. He goes, we run a program of honesty and integrity. And I want to be honest with you. Even though we've won nine championships in 11 years, you're not my number one pick. Are you okay with that? (laughs) And me, being the cocky high school kid, I like coach. No disrespect, but who's your number one pick? He goes, well, you're averaging 29 points a game without, you know, we had no three but there's a guy in LA that we want, but we figure he's averaging 39 a game. So if we can get you and him, he goes, that's 68 points. We think you could be one of the top UCLA backcourts in the history of our school. And I said, okay, what's his name? And he told me his name uh, and I said, okay. And then he said something interesting. He said, mind you, he goes, you're okay with not being my number one. I said, yes, sir. I said, I will be eventually and uh he said uh but mind you i'm gonna recruit 14 other all americans every year so are you okay with that i said yeah coach bring them on
6: i also need to hear a deep dive on john wooden's filipino dinner at the townsend household like what kind of pancit did raymond's mom cook because there's a world of difference between the goat pancit palabok and pancit bihon which is pretty much garbage i mean where did she even get the ingredients there wasn't no seafood city back then. <laughs> what else was on the menu? Like, what did
5: the Wizard of Westwood like the most? I mean, duh. It's got to be Lumpia. I mean, it's always Lumpia. Or right, Let's just find out.
4: You know, it's funny. See, he wasn't really exposed to it because there were no other Filipinos that ever came through. And Coach Wood was so humble, he stayed in this little two-bedroom condo out in Encino. And, you know, Filipino restaurants weren't big in L.A. back then. So yeah, he loved it. He loved the lumpia, he liked the ponset. He didn't like... I shouldn't say this, God rest his soul. <laughs> He'll turn over in his grave if I tell you. He didn't like the, the, the dinaguán, <laughs> the chocolate meat. <laughs> you know, he wasn't... Tough he ass. He kind of shied away from the dinaguán, but uh, he loved everything else. And turon, I'm gonna let you, turon. Uh, he was all over my mom's moruya and turon. My mom, was all, everything was home cooked, so.
6: I, I I stand by it. I, I don't blame Coach Buden for shying away from the I mean that is a tall tall task. Uh, it's it, it's a it's a tall order. But toron it, it's a top five dessert. Fight me. Yes. It's a top five dessert uh, anywhere in the world. Were other people outside your family starting to recognize celebrate your being Filipino American in the NBA? And if it wasn't then, when do you think that started? That recognition of your of your roots as a Filipino American.
4: It never existed back in that day, in the mid 70s. And if you think about, first of all, there was a lot of subtle racism. Back then, it was only black or white. Nobody cared about Asians, Mexicans. They didn't care because the whole league was either black or white. And to be honest with you, predominantly black and me running around with the big Afro didn't help. I told everybody I was Filipino and uh, nobody believed me because all of our All-Americans at UCLA were black. And we have black in our family. We have a lot of Filipino family members that married into black families. So we have a black constituency, probably of 60, 70 black Filipinos. So nobody really knew. And I could tell you till I'm blue in the face, no, I'm Filipino. But Sports Illustrated is a good example. Came out with an article. We were on the front page. It says the Golden State Warriors, one of the new teams in the new movement, have a head coach, two assistants and they were all black It showed the whole bench and they said 11 black players and one white player and the white player I knew wasn't me it was Tom Abernathy from Indiana (laughs) he was sitting at the end of the bench and I was in the midst of the middle and I even told him I said no no we're all black and one Filipino and one you know white player and they go no no you're black and so they never ever changed the article so I could stand on the mountaintop and tell you I was Filipino, but you have to understand, at that time, there were no Filipino basketball players. And there were some great Filipino basketball players. And, you know, I, I, I say this very sincerely. A lot of the great Filipino, you know, I'm talking about Robert Jaworski, you know, uh, Mon Fernandez, some of these great, great Filipino basketball players. These guys had a life of hard work, success, they earn their, their, their great reputations, and not many Filipinos wanted to come over to the United States and try with an NBA team, because then if you don't make it, now all of a sudden you're the greatest Filipino who ever played basketball in the Philippines, but got cut by so-and-so back in. Nobody wanted to risk that. I still feel, and I, I speak this very strongly, I still feel there'll be a Filipino-born uh, athlete but I really think they need to come over to America, play to Kansas, to Duke, uh, Kentucky. And there's players out there that can do these things, but they've got to like step out and get into something that's that's risky, but be on TV every day. And, you know, gratefully 38 years later, I carried that torch for 38 years. And now, you know, we got Jordan and Jalen. but still everybody's waiting for the first Filipino born. Filipino to make the NBA. And I think we're knocking on that door.
5: We'll get back to that NBA dream in episode six, but this episode is about right here, right now. The Filipinos and the Filipino Americans who made it to the NBA in one way or another. Up next, we're talking to Miami Heat coach Eric Spolstra.
0: Er
1: For up to date list of states, visit dkng.co slash states. Void where prohibited, see terms at pigsix.draftkings.com slash promos.
3: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Let me ask you something, Nico. Do you think that maybe we, meaning the NBA's devoted Filipino fan base, take Eric Spolster for granted? Eh, that's a little too strong for what I mean, I guess. Do you think we should celebrate Spo, the first Filipino-American head coach in NBA history who has led the Miami Heat to five NBA Finals appearances and two championships even more than we already do? I mean, we get so wrapped up in the ups and downs of Jalen Green and Jordan Clarkson's career as Jalen shows flashes of becoming a brilliant scorer for the Rockets and Jordan shines in a new role as a starter for the surprising Jazz this season. And then we always are looking out for who's next, the next Filipino-American prospect with NBA size and potential or who has the best chance to become the first NBA player born and raised in the Philippines. Meanwhile a guy who'd be on the short list for the best NBA coaches of the last 10 years is Filipino. Give Spo his flowers now. Give him your give him your nickname. Filipino Jackson.
6: You are preaching to the choir sister. I I am as much of a defender of how we should just throw love at Filipino Jackson every single day. But At the same time, I understand how that can happen with Coach Spoh. For starters, he's just naturally so low-key, and he and Pat Riley run such a tight ship in Miami that some years it feels like the entire regular season passes, with fans clinging to every trade rumor, every scoop about tension between two-star players on this or that team, and the occasional wild story where a bowl of chicken tortilla soup gets hurled across a locker room, and the Heat are never involved. Then the playoffs roll around and all of a sudden there's Spo and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and the rest of the Heat back in the mix with a chance to go to the finals. For a town as wild and glamorous as Miami, the Heat are strictly business. And you know, future Hall of Famer, Eric Spolstra likes it that way. And also, we say it all the time, the NBA is a player's league and it should be. Of course, every team needs a great coaching staff to be successful and a front office to support them and all the rest of the people up and down the franchise who enable the players to perform at their best. But when winning time rolls around, it's the players out there on the floor. So yes, one of the very best coaches in the league is Filipino, but there will always be more interest in the players. That's just the nature of things, I guess. When we were growing up and learning to play and love the game, we dreamed of making game winning buzzer beaters and dunking on fast breaks, not orchestrating the action from the sideline. And I'd bet anything Spo wouldn't want things any other way. He was a
5: player first, too. Ooh, Nico, you just reminded me of an incredible Philippine basketball what if. Do you remember how Spo said he almost moved to Manila after finishing his college career at the University of Portland? How good! Would Spo have been if he came to the PBA in 1993?
6: Oh, with his resume? Spo could have been a transformational player in the PBA. He was a four year starter at the Division I level, six foot three point guard. That's huge for the PBA. Six foot three point guard who's still number four on the Portland Pilots all time assist list. He would have been one of the biggest playmakers in the league and could have guarded any position except center. It might have taken Spo some time to adjust to the rough and tumble style of 90s PBA basketball, and also to figure out the right balance of scoring and playmaking for the league, because a PBA team would absolutely expect a guy with D1 pedigree to just put up scoring numbers. Those hard nosed coaches would be ready to strangle Spo if he just went out there trying to play like a glue guy. You really had to be aggressive. But with Spo's basketball mind, I'm sure he would have figured it out. To me though, this what if isn't about whether Spoh would have been a PBA All-Star or a PBA Hall of Famer. It's about all the things that might never have happened if he had been leading the, I don't know, San Miguel Bierman to an All-Filipino Cup title in 1995 instead of getting his foot in the door of the Miami Heat organization as a video coordinator. Maybe we would have gained a Philippine basketball legend if Spoh had played in the PBA. But at the same time, we probably would have lost the first Filipino NBA head coach because Spo, the PBA superstar, was unlikely to get back on track to become Spo the leader who would win back to back championships with LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosch. It hurts my head to think about it. The Heatles without Spo. I mean, we're talking about rewriting an essential chapter in NBA history. Would you take that trade off? I mean, who cares what I think?
5: Let's ask coach Bo himself.
8: (laughs) It's a, it's a big regret of mine. I I don't have any regrets other than, than that. And that was always the plan. I mean, since I was a a small kid, uh, my family over there would always send VHS tapes of the PBA. And so I, I was familiar with the PBA and, you know, Billy Ray Bates, who's a legend over there. He actually played for the Portland trailblazers and, he was kind of a, a two-year legend in Portland where they still talk about him while he finished his career in the Philippines. Uh, so I felt a connection to Billy Ray Bates, but also to the PBA. Uh, I followed it. I always had in back my mind that I would go play there after college. Um, that was kind of a bigger goal of mine than to try to play in the NBA. Uh, and then my course shifted and I ended up playing in, in Germany for a couple of years. And I thought I would just you know, barnstorm around Europe for, you know, five years and then finish up playing in the PBA. And I remember during the off season, I met with Jim Kelly, who's now a scout, a longtime scout in the NBA. And he tried to recruit me over there and I was going to sign and I just pushed it off because I wanted to travel the world first. And then I ended up getting the the opportunity with the Heat. And so I never had that opportunity uh, to go back uh, to the PBA, but I, I was always a fan. And then when I had the opportunity, my first year, going with the NBA to do the clinics, that's when I had an opportunity to meet Tim Cone, And I would already knew who he was. He's a legendary uh, coach over there. He's like the equivalent to Pat Riley and Phil Jackson combined uh, and pop, you know, basically all three guys. That's his reputation over there. Uh, and so I was able to uh, meet with him and we struck a, a friendship that still goes to this day.
5: You are a legendary coach in the NBA, one of the all-time great coaches here um, in the States, but over in the Philippines you're like Michael Jackson, you know uh, Michael Jordan status, like crowds probably following you
8: I mean, if, if- were to say that or you were to mention that in my household my mother would just roll her eyes that oh yeah you're famous Uh, she doesn't want to hear that or people call me coach spo uh i remember we won our first championship and you know i've been called many worse things (laughs) but coach spo was uh, a thing that people uh, would call me and then over there they made up t-shirts and everything my family sent some to my mom what she was rolling her eyes about, about that. But when we won our, our first championship, the celebration here in Miami, and then immediately I flew to Portland, Oregon to visit my family, that's where I'm from. Uh, and we went on vacation. And right as I walked into the place where we we're staying, my mom had a place uh, on the floor with a nice sign with all the t-shirts that said, Coach Spo's spot. And that's where I had to stay is on the floor for the whole vacation. So she doesn't want to hear about that. Like if, if people think I'm famous over there, you know, she would prefer that, uh, I stay under the radar and and everything.
6: We asked Coach Spolstra, now out of respect for his mother, I will resist calling him Coach Spo. about the craziest experience he had while visiting the Philippines.
8: Yeah, we had some wild experiences. Uh, I remember one time, you know, we were doing clinics all over Manila and outside of Manila, and we just basically made an agreement that, hey, we're gonna be here for 10 days or two weeks. We wanna do as much as we possibly can to give back. And so that meant we gotta wake up at 6.30, Hit the first bus to get, you know, it would take us two hours to get anywhere, even if it was only 10 miles away. And we would try to stack maybe three, four, five clinics in, in a day. We'd finish up after dinner. But a lot of times they were usually like two or 300 kids. Yeah, that's it. Good, good. Good.
0: Eyes,
8: eyes. And then we went uh, outside of Manila and we show up one place and there must have been eight to 10,000 people there. Uh, And probably there's thousands of kids. So we pull up in the bus, they're rocking our bus uh, and everything and uh, the coaching staff and the NBA staff, we get off the bus and there's no way security could stop them. So somehow we tried to like carve out a court uh, and do uh, a clinic with the kids. And then as soon as we were done with the clinic, they just swarmed us. And they just wanted pictures, selfies, and autographs from everybody on the staff and My staff and the NBA staff, and it got to the point where Fizz and my other assistant, Chad Cameron were signing kids' foreheads. (laughs) 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 They didn't even have pieces of paper. There was nothing to sign, so we had pens and Sharpies. They were just signing kids' heads, but it was a blast. We have some uh, really cool pictures uh, in the middle. It's like try to find Waldo, uh, myself, or anybody on our staff in a sea of thousands of people, Uh, but that's why I wanted to invite you know, staff members to come over and really experience it, uh, that it it is more than a sport. Uh, It's like a religion uh, over there. The fan base is really incredible. Thank you so much for the hospitality uh, here. this welcome. It's really overwhelming. Uh, We were not expecting this. Uh, I'm very humbled to be here. They love the Lakers and the Celtics. Uh, We've gotten them now to really love the Miami Heat, and that's been a really cool part of it. Uh, so I wanted everybody to really kind of understand that, and I, I basically made an agreement with NBA that we'll do this uh, every year. We'll do as many clinics as you possibly want, but there's gonna be some people in charge. My cousin Hannah, who grew up in the Philippines, and then she came over for high school, the family and, and college, and now she still lives uh, in the States and their family. But she would be the point person. So anybody wanted me to do anything, you had to talk to my cousin Hannah. And then my uncle Tony, her dad, uh, he basically was uh, or is the patriarch of that side of the family, and every trip would end uh, where we'd have to drive an hour and a half to Laguna uh, where my mother is from, and we would have a big party at uh, my uncle Tony and Tita minda 's house, where roasted pig and everybody. But it was mandatory that everybody had to go on that trip, and he had to get on the bus and go an hour and a half to three hours to get there and we would just have a, an amazing party. My Uncle Tony does his own spread uh, with the pig and Olympia, lumpia, pancet, everything. Uh, and then he has a, a small coconut farm. So he, he makes this uh, coconut moonshine. <laughs> Everybody has to drink it. And uh, it was really fun to be able to have my staff come out there. And then the entire international NBA staff would climb on these buses and that was part of the agreement, you know, to travel there and have an a, a awesome party uh, at the end of the week.
7: Basketball is a very famous sport here as compared to football or baseball.
6: That right there is Fatima Fats Tolentino, former player of the great University of the Philippines and the women's national team.
7: So when we heard that he was going to talk to us and teach us, we were all excited because not only because he's a head coach in the NBA but also because he's Filipino. So I guess we have have that sort of connection. That's why we were so interested and excited to get to know him better.
5: What does it mean to you to be the first Filipino head coach, really the first Asian head coach in North American sports?
8: At first I didn't think anything of it, really, because when I got the opportunity I was 37 years old, and I didn't really think I was ready. Uh, anyway, uh, Pat kind of had to push me uh, and tell me to to get my s h i t together, and they, you know this is the direction we're going. So wrap your mind around it and get ready for the press conference. So I was kind of in my head uh, more insecure and and thinking that I needed more experience. But I think subconsciously, I, I probably knew in the back of my mind, like uh, all right. I felt like I didn't have experience. I also felt somewhere subconsciously that I didn't look like your typical uh, NBA head coach. Um, I wasn't uh, an older veteran coach, Uh, I wasn't white. You don't really know what box to put me in. And I probably looked a lot younger than even 37. So I just knew subconsciously that I didn't look the part. And that kind of messes with you uh, a little bit. And then my family, started to tell me that i was the first asian coach and the first filipino head coach in in any sport and then it became a source of pride you know that you can take a different path you can look different you don't have to look like the stereotypical whatever square jaw head coach looks like and you can still perform and be a caretaker for your organization and that's what i took pride in Uh, and if if that opened some eyes and and doors You know, for somebody else who has a a dream that may be Asian or maybe a different ethnicity or even a female, uh, you don't have to look and be the stereotype. Uh, And uh, I think that helped me find a a deeper sense of purpose, you know, for myself in this coaching profession where it wasn't just about doing the job and just trying to to get wins. Uh, It became about taking the baton and, you know, hopefully changing perceptions. The passion for basketball is so amazing uh, in the Philippines. And what you hope for is that young kids cannot put limits on what their dreams may be. Uh, And so if they see more role models and see more possibilities of what could be, and it may be, you know, to be an NBA player, you know, like Jordan Clarkson or uh, Green, but it also may be a dream just to work in the NBA, to work for the NBA main offices, to work in NBA International, to be able to work in the video room, you know, somewhere, uh, to be involved somehow, some way uh, in this great association that there are so many different opportunities and possibilities now. Uh, and hopefully like you and I, you know, and, and everybody else can kind of pull back the curtain. And for kids that may have just been fans before, they may be able to think bigger now, bigger possibilities that, hey, I could be a part of that association and it can be a lifetime of opportunities. That's the way I look at this, the NBA. No matter what our, our jobs are, we're doing what we love to do. I mean, this, this round ball and 94 feet and two baskets allow us uh, to travel the world, to be able to play and compete in, in the best arenas with the best fan base in the world. And, you know, now we're able to share these experiences with uh, so many different kids of this new younger generation. Uh, hey, if we could be partial contributors to being Dream Makers, I'm all for it.
0: Did you ever play the over-under game with your friends? You know, think I could eat that slice of pizza in under 30 seconds? I know I did. If you have, then you're going to love Pick 6, the new fantasy game from DraftKings, an official partner of the NBA. Here's how to play during the NBA playoffs. Pick between two and six players and choose if they'll have more or less of his stat. Rebounds, points, assists, and more. Download the new DraftKings Pick 6 app now and use code DK Hoops for a shot at huge cash prizes. That's code DK Hoops only on DraftKings Pick 6. The crown is yours.
1: Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 18 plus in most eligible states. Age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. pig six not available in all states, including but not limited to Connecticut and New York. For up-to-date list of states, visit dkng.co/pick6states. Void where prohibited. See terms at pick6.draftkings.com/promos.
3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: All right, I think it's time to address the elephant in the room. So far, we've covered the figures who made history as the NBA's first Filipino-American player and coach. But there's one more piece of this story that remains incomplete. For a country that likes to think of itself as a global leader when it comes to basketball's cultural imprint, the Philippines has never, never, produce an NBA player who was born and raised in the country. And throughout the nation's long history of playing the sport, it's been easy to point to one reason why there still hasn't been a homegrown Filipino player in the league. Height. For the most part, that reasoning holds. At the highest level, height and length matter. Who's the current NBA draft prospect that scouts think has a chance to create an entirely new geometry of what's possible on an NBA floor? Victor Wimbanyama. The 7'4 prodigy from France. Meanwhile, you can still find back to the basket big men in today's PBA who stand about, I don't know, 6 feet 4 inches tall. Don't get me wrong, these are incredibly skilled players, some of whom flash the kind of low-post footwork that hasn't existed in the NBA since the days of Kevin McHale. But a 6'4 center who likes to operate within 15 feet of the basket and is shorter than several NBA point guards? Not a recipe for success in the spaced out modern NBA where many of the most successful teams emphasize attributes like speed, length, and of course, three-point shooting. But here's the thing. Of all the players throughout Philippine basketball history who've explored the possibility of trying to make the NBA, only one had a real training camp offer from a team, and it wasn't one of the handful of skilled big men six foot nine and above that the Philippines has produced. No, no. By all accounts, the local player who had the best chance of anyone to date of making an NBA roster who, as the story goes, chose the security of his PBA career over a training camp invite, was the smallest MVP in PBA history. 5'7", Johnny Abariantos, also known as the Flying A, or just Johnny A. Here, do me a favor and read off some of his accomplishments.
5: Some? M- meaning that there's more to Johnny A's body of work?
6: Johnny pick If I gave you his entire Hall of Fame resume, we'd be here all day. Believe me.
5: Alright, here it goes. Um member of 12 PBA championship teams. Yep. Two-time PBA Finals MVP. Two-time. 1996 PBA Most Valuable Player. Shortest ever. Best Player of the Conference Award for the 1997 Commissioners Cup. You bet. Six time. Wait. Um, Nico, what's a mythical team? Oh, yeah. About
6: that. That's just what we in the Philippines call our uh, all league team. Say all NBA. Instead of saying all PBA, we say uh, mythical team.
5: Um, okay. So I do love how we find a way to put some completely unnecessary but still fabulous Filipino flair onto perfectly functional categories like all PBA teams.
6: Hey, it's just like that old tourism slogan goes. <laughs> it is more fun in the Philippines. Although, although I do like your version of it is more fabulous in the <laughs> Philippines. Exactly. I think that applies better.
5: Okay, back to the show. Otherwise, I'm never going to finish this tour of Johnny A's trophy case. So six-time PBA mythical first team. 6 One-time PBA mythical second team. Robbed. Eight-time PBA all-star. Mm-hmm. See, that's a simple name. Five-time PBA All-Defensive team. At 5'7". PBA All-Time Steals leader with 1,358. <sighs> His career average of 1.83 steals per game is higher than any other player on the Top 20 All-Time list. You bet. Named one of the PBA's Top 25 Greatest Players during the league's 25th anniversary celebrations.
6: Mm-hmm. Original idea.
5: Named one of the PBA's top forty greatest players during the league's fortieth anniversary celebrations.
6: Couldn't wait till the fiftieth, but okay.
5: <laughs> and stop me if you heard this before. Shortest MVP in PBA history.
6: Five foot seven. Five foot seven on a good day.
5: Whew! All right, that's it. I think. Let me catch my breath now. But I get the point. This this overwhelming list of achievements means that Johnny A was a very bad slash good man on the court.
6: That's exactly the thing. The resume is only the tip of the iceberg, though. His greatness really comes into focus when you hear the way Johnny's peers talked about playing with and against him. Like the Hall of Famer, Jeff the Jet Cariasso, Johnny's teammate from the Alaska Aces.
7: You know, he could be the leader, he could be the guy that's running the show, but at the same time be our MVP from day one from his first year he's already you know established as the up-and-coming point guard and you know everyone is talking about him already and um how special he is but it's you know when you get two or three years of experience under your belt you know you 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 get someone that that's you know going to be a future hall of famer and we knew that during that time so when you see him play you know the first time i i heard this description about you know basketball and it being A group of five kind of being in the same motion was Coach Tim describing our triangle as like a dance. You know, you all got to be, you know, working together and dancing together or else it's just going to, it's not going to look good, it's not going to work. So that's how I described Johnny. Just when he was playing out there, it was like on his own, he was kind of just dancing, you know, on a different mode. While everyone is either going super slow or super fast, he's kind of taking his time and just, Knows when to attack, knows when to slow down. He's he just out there on a different level. And you notice that already. You notice it. Me being a player, one thing that stood out for me also is the fact that he just made everyone look good. Just run the floor, wings, and i get you the ball. Um, set a good screen, bigs, and roll, and i get you the ball, and you get an easy two. So, yeah, that, that, that's why you're special.
6: Every day in practice, teammates say he would make a play or three that – would make a team full of other professional athletes stop dead in their tracks and look at each other like, did Johnny really just do that? He'd go weeks, they say, without missing a jump shot in drills. Imports, you know, the foreign reinforcements who get flown in paid extra to be the best players on the floor. They called Johnny the best player on the floor every time he suited up for the Alaska Aces in his prime. He routinely inspired awe and the hardest audience to impress, fellow pro ballplayers. When you ask Johnny's contemporaries to name one of his weaknesses, they're genuinely stumped. His playmaking, his creativity with a ball, his shooting, his defense, even his rebounding. At 5'7", often the smallest guy on the court, he was pulling down close to five boards per game at the point guard spot throughout his late 90s prime. There was nothing the guy couldn't do on a basketball court. Conventional wisdom might lead you to name height as a weakness, but good luck finding many examples of opponents who would be able to exploit Johnny's short stature. I know, I know, I'm, I'm gushing over here, but let me get off one more thought, just one more. It wasn't just Johnny A's talent that left fans and fellow PBA players calling him the best point guard in league history. He was also a born winner, the most important player on the most dominant PBA dynasty the league had ever seen, Starting with a 1994 Governor's Cup, Johnny A's Alaska Aces appeared in the finals of every PBA conference, but one for the next four years. In PBA years, that's 11 finals appearances in 12 tries, with an 8-3 record in the finals for eight total championships in four years. That, that's just staggering.
5: I mean, yeah, when you put it that way, I, I guess it's not that surprising that NBA scouts would catch wind of this little guy in Manila who they needed to see. And the situation in which an NBA franchise recruited Johnny A made sense. It was 1997, right after Johnny's MVP season, and an international scout named Joe Betancourt, who worked with the Charlotte Hornets, believed that Johnny just might be able to fill the hole in Charlotte's rotation left by five foot three point guard, Muggsy Bogues, who was battling knee injuries at that point in his career.
3: Muggsy Bogues all the way to the hoop. Oh, Muggsy. Ah! Yeah, they love it, the crowd loves it.
5: Betancourt's theory was that if Johnny could translate his game to the NBA, he'd fit right into Muggsy's role when Bogues was off the floor. Similar in height, speed, smarts, leadership abilities, and an ability to single-handedly prevent opposing teams from getting into their offense with their ball-hawking defense, the scout envisioned Johnny A as the ready-made replacement in case Muggsy's recovery from knee surgery took longer than expected. Bencourt discussed the possibility of Johnny A coming over two different times that season. First, he tried to set Johnny up with an invite to Hornets training camp, but for the reigning PBA Most Valuable Player, putting his Philippine career on pause for a couple months to go try out in Charlotte with no guarantee of landing an NBA contract was too risky to pursue. Once the NBA season began, Bencourt flew back to Manila and proposed another idea— sign a 10-day contract to jump right into the Hornets roster. Now NBA fans know that a 10-day deal is far from a sure path to a long NBA career. But Johnny A and the Alaska franchise were ready to accept the offer. What's the worst that could happen? Johnny doesn't make it in the league and he flies home to Manila after a couple weeks as not just the first born and raised Filipino to make the NBA, but the league's first player from all of Asia? Yeah, I'll take that deal. Unfortunately, It never quite came together. But Johnny A's teammates remember just how close he was to writing his name in the NBA history books. And to hear guys like his former backcourt partner, Jeff Cariasso, tell it, Johnny might have lasted more than just 10 days in the league.
7: Would he have done well? I think so. Would it have been a tremendous challenge on his end? I would say I think so also because, you know, there there are a lot of good players. There are a lot of good guys who were, three or four inches taller than him, but just as quick, you know, longer arms, can pressure the ball like he does. But would he have been able to kind of handle his own a little bit? i say yes. He was that talented where, you know, you really have to take a second look at him. To me, that says a lot. And would he have gone there and killed it right from the get-go, that would have been a challenge. That would be asking for a lot, to be honest with you. But to be out there and compete, and to be able to kind of handle yourself a little bit and. Be able to showcase what you have for sure. No question. And if he had that opportunity with a little bit of time, then who knows what could have happened.
6: Dang. We were talking about what ifs earlier. Well, what if Johnny A had actually taken the leap and made it onto the Hornets roster in 97? Imagine a Filipino point guard in those classic purple and teal uniforms. What do you think? Should Johnny A have just flown over for training camp instead of waiting for that 10-day contract?
5: I mean, judging by that list of achievements, he won like seven more championships between 1997 and the end of his career. So Johnny probably doesn't have much to regret.
6: Well, that's true. And although it does sound like Charlotte was genuinely interested in giving Johnny a look and scouts like Bencourt must have believed he really did have what it took to succeed in the NBA, but a camp invite isn't a guaranteed contract, which is what he already had in Manila, where he was the reigning PBA MVP at the height of his powers. That's tough to walk away from without a guaranteed deal.
5: Also, the NBA still hadn't truly welcomed international talent at that point in time. Dirk Nowitzki hadn't even been drafted yet. There had never been a player from Asia in the league. Yao Ming was still eight years away. Nowadays, I think a player in Johnny's position would be more likely to take that chance because there are so many other athletes from around the world thriving in the NBA. And plus johnny's brush with history almost feels more legendary because he didn't go to charlotte he's this mythical filipino point guard who came closer than any of his countrymen before or since to making an nba roster and that means he left the generations of players coming up behind him with a goal to pick up where he left off and finish what johnny a started it's been 25 years since johnny earned that shot now It's time for the Philippines' next great
2: talent to step up. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft.